0: Hi guys, I'm Jo Croft. You are listening to the Puppy Coach Podcast. Join me as I share my top tips, thoughts and experiences from my career as a vet nurse and canine behaviour specialist, helping owners form a strong, safe relationship with their dog. Every single dog that I have either treated, been involved with, um, or looked after has brought something interesting or amazing to my life, whether that be in the form of knowledge, self-reflection, or people. Um, Some of the best relationships I have now are with people who I've met through their dogs. We're gonna go there and chat about Marley. Where do I start? Marley, I absolutely adore. Um, He as a dog has caused the biggest amount of self-reflection I can, can think I've ever been through. I've had to dig deeper emotionally and professionally with him than any dog that's ever crossed my path. I met Marley at nine weeks of age, uh, owned by a lovely family with three young children. Had done all their homework. As I say, he came from a great breeder, beautiful puppy. If you ever see any pictures of Marley as a puppy, he was absolutely stunning and used to stop traffic wherever he went. But I can honestly say in memory, it is the worst puppy console I've ever had to deal with in my life and the his behavior was so bad and I looked like the worst dog behaviorist ever a puppy specialist was laughable i ended up having to literally tie his lead to a beam in their house and and watch him chew through it because i did honestly not know what else to do with him he was aggressive he was vocal he didn't listen to anybody. He was almost impossible to handle. He uh, ate everything. <laughs> the list was just endless. This poor family were traumatised. Um, so out of absolute desperation, we changed his diet. We did a number of things. I put lots of things in place. And I left them feeling very happy that we'd got some sort of resolution to what had been the most chaotic puppy con- consult I'd ever tried to deal with. Um Two days later, I checked in on them to see how they were going and it was awful. It was still the same and we hadn't made any progress at all. So I decided that I would take him. There was something about Marley that I just thought I'm missing something and I can't, I can, I'm like a literally like a dog with a bone with most scenarios. I can't rest until we've got some form of resolution, whatever that looks like. So I offered to take him for free and train him and understand him and see what was going on. So I did and he came home with us and he was impeccable. He tried So the first time I opened the boot of my car, he tried to jump out of the car uh, as I opened it, through me, not round me. Um, So I popped him back in the car and shut the boot lid. And the next time I opened the boot, I just showed him the flat palm of my hand and asked him to stay, which he did surprisingly. And from then on, we didn't look back. I had him for a week. He was beautiful. He slept downstairs all night. He learned recall, so quick to learn, it was ridiculous. Um, very sensitive dog, but actually in a lot of ways also quite self-assured. There were lots of, of anomalies about him. He seemed to like his own space. So there was never any issue about him being alone, which was amazing. He hung out with me all day, every day. I introduced him to lots of dogs. He was just the perfect pupil. So I dropped him off with a list of things to do thinking I'd done an amazing job. Two hours later, the owner rang me. He'd flown down her hallway after she shut the door and bitten straight through her Achilles tendon, which obviously wasn't pretty. So back I went and picked him up and this poor family were just so traumatised from from what they'd been through and they really honestly had tried so hard with him and I recognised that he wasn't just your normal run-of-the-mill puppy. Cut a very long story short, he ended up living with us and I had four years of hell. Professional and emotional hell. I had my head in my hands on a regular basis and really wondered how I'd ever become a dog behaviorist because Marley just didn't reflect the knowledge, ability or skill I'd achieved over 30 years of working with animals. I can honestly say he really put me through my paces, but actually he's 12, he turns 12 in November. And once I understood him and I actually self-reflected enough to recognize anxiety, understand anxiety and also go on to study the pathophysiology of anxiety and it became the basis for my master's degree. So the score that I got on my master's degree, the, the complex nature of my thesis um, and the credibility that I got from that all stemmed from the last 12 years of hanging in with one of my best mates. He will embarrass me on a daily basis He rarely listens to anything I ask him to do. And we always have processing issues where I call him and I have to wait for him to process the fact I've called him in and then he might eventually come if I'm lucky. So don't expect it to be ever pretty if you see me out with him. But he's honestly the most complex, funniest, sweetest, most sensitive soul I have ever come across who has taught me more in the last 10 years about myself than I think anyone has ever done in all the years I've been alive, so Marley 's given me this amazing platform. so when I get those calls from people with with mixed breeds, particularly cockapoos, golden doodles, labradoodles, um, who are all very similar in their sharpness, their ability to learn their sensitivities to being prone to anxiety. I've experienced all this stuff and you know when clients explain to me their trauma of what's going on with their dog they may spend half an hour explaining what they're going through and all these array of different erratic chaotic behaviors but within 30 seconds of speaking to them I kind of know what they're going through and I know what we need to do to fix it so having him and owning him it's kind of been worth the embarrassment really to be able to apply what I've learned with him less is more. You can't load them with pressure. You can't tell them off. You have to prep them. You have to be in a position to set them up so they're successful. And when they're successful, they're amazing. They lap up every bit of praise going, but you can't add too much praise. If you add too much praise, you're peeling them off the ceiling and they're chaotic again. So Being respectful of what you have and understanding the individual that's living in your house and not seeing them like they're a badly behaved dog, but actually taking the time to sit back and understand what is motivating that behavior. And dogs are not bad. They don't go out of their way to annoy you, upset you, or destroy your home because you chose to walk out and leave them. They're doing those things because they're not coping with the environment or the relationships that they're being forced to try and adapt to dogs can adapt to the majority of situations really quite quickly way quicker than we can but we have to lower our expectations and be mindful that that is a process and it takes time and not all dogs can do that quickly and some dogs react poorly before they do adapt. Marley has really given me a platform to have a bit of a reality check that I've got years of knowledge, practical, academic knowledge. I've been a hydrotherapist. I've worked in rehab. I've been a surgical veterinary nurse. I've done 18 years in in clinical behaviour. And yet there are days where I sit here and think I know nothing thanks to my dog. So Puppy Coach was born out of uh, an incident that happened to me with a dog through a referral case. I was called out to visit a dog, uh, weighing about 48, 49 kilos. So not really very much lighter than me. Um, the report that I had at the time was just via a phone call. So it was pre-questionnaire. I now do a thorough questionnaire and have lots of prep work before I visit people. But back then I didn't. It was 2015 and I you know, kind of just had a conversation with a client and then did the rest of the work when I got there. The understanding was that the dog was relatively boisterous, a middle aged adult male, entire. Um, he was making it difficult to have friends around because he was just excitable with everybody and he chased things on the TV. So, nothing out of the ordinary, pretty straightforward case. Got there, um, the blinds were closed apparently because the dog was quite reactive to the neighbour's dog upstairs, it was a flat. was greeted by the dog at the door who was extremely excitable, um, jumping all over me and them and pretty much taking over. So as I would always do, um, I just asked them to put the dog on a lead and hand me the lead and I'll just take control from there. And back then I'd had a few incidents with dogs, but I've been had a pretty clean bill of health really, never had any major incidents before, certainly none that I didn't see coming. And I kind of pride myself in being able to read dog body language, which is exactly what happened here. So essentially I took him through to the living room and placed him on the bed and then sat down on the sofa next to him with my back to him. From that point on every hair on my body stood on end. The energy in the room changed. He went completely and utterly silent and the boisterousness was gone. And what it was replaced by was quite chilling. This was probably my first ever real experience of meeting what I would class now as a dominant dog. So this is a dog who did not want to be told what to do at all. And had spent the majority of his life doing as he pleased and not really conforming to anybody um, and the owners were compromising to be able to cope with that so i sat with my back to him extremely uncomfortable and eventually asked the owner to gently take him away and i worked with him for two hours completely hands off with them doing most of the work quite successfully i asked if there was any aggression was told no on several occasions so i was quite comfortable with that Um, Sadly, that wasn't the case. Um, My consults are normally between three and four hours and I ceased this consult at two, two and a half hours with special measures in place, things to do. They would report back to me and I would check in with them within a couple of weeks. I was a little bit suspicious about what I was being told at the time. So I kind of just wanted to debrief for a bit and come out of the environment and take a breath and check in with them and see how he did. So I was told that he was walked in a muzzle because he didn't like small furry dogs. Again, a little bit suspicious. This was a, a huge, a huge animal. Um, and I was assuming if he didn't like small furry dogs, then he wouldn't like any furry dogs. So there were a few alarm bells. Um. And I walked out into the kitchen and as I turned to leave, he hit me like a steam train, basically bit straight through my hand, of which I froze. So if ever a dog comes at you, the worst thing you can do is increase the energy. So run, shout, scream, cry or move, because all that will do is trigger that prey drive instinct. Your instinct really needs to be freeze and try not to react and because I did that, it, it kind of changed his perception of me. So he let me go. And probably the whole incident maybe only lasted about 30 seconds. It felt like a lifetime, but he came in at me a second time. So he then latched onto my leg. I basically had a 49 kilo, 48, 49 kilo animal with his jaws fully round my right thigh and embedded into it through my jeans, holding to me putting pressure on and taking pressure off. So basically his teeth were in my leg. Um, Now at that point I had enough realisation to understand that if I just stood my ground, he'd let me go once, he would hopefully do the same again. And this animal, had he chosen to uh, take this further, would have had me on the floor in seconds. And obviously we can imagine what would have happened there. Thankfully... He let me go a second time, and at that point I asked the owners to swiftly get him out of the room, which they did, and I then went into shock. I was taken by car to a and and dropped off by the client, who that left me there for treatment, and at that point the wheels came off. I was just about finishing my degree. Um, I'd literally been shocked. I'd gone with my professional head and not my gut instinct, which I will never do again. And really, that whole experience, there needed to be a positive that came out of it. I I spent three, four months in rehab, professional rehab. So working with colleagues with aggression cases, shadowing people again to get my confidence back. I had flashbacks in my car um, at home when I was with my kids for about 10 days to two weeks afterwards. What I chose to do was to try and make a difference because... It's kind of not in my nature really to just give up, not after everything i would worked for. And I love these animals and I kind of understood it. I understood why I understood. I tried my luck. I tried to come into a situation I wasn't fully prepped for. I didn't listen to my gut. I should have just left and said, this is not a case I can do anything with right now. Dogs generally don't go in with confident calculating bites uh, in that way unless they're fully practiced and confident in the outcome. So I knew for sure that I hadn't been told the whole truth, which was quite upsetting. So I came away, spoke to several colleagues. My questionnaire came out of it. So clients all, all have to fill in a questionnaire now. I have long conversations on the phone. Uh, Clients send me photographs of their animals, they send me videos of the dog's behaviour so I can prep much more efficiently for being able to walk into somebody's home. But, you know, there's a positive in that. We've got Puppy Coach, which is just an amazing project. I'm a much more confident practitioner now, having been through that. I'm much more aware of the capability of a dog and having worked with dogs for so many years and never experiencing a situation like that. I think it was important that I did go through it and, you know, I absolutely came out the other side. Puppy coach has, has come about with a real strong motivation to make a difference and to avoid this stuff happening. You know, had the dog been better understood from the start um, and better managed from the start, who knows, maybe he wouldn't be biting people. My whole ethos is, is all about trying to prevent issues before they occur understand your dog but you know let's be realistic an ideal world is lovely but an ideal world never really exists so really if if you have a dog that's starting to show signs of behavior issues the sooner we see them the better so aggression has a ladder Um, and the ladder will start right at the very bottom with a little bit of intolerance, maybe some posturing, maybe they don't like being handled. Maybe you've gone up the ladder a little bit and you're getting grumbled at. Um, I think it's the point you start making excuses for your dog's behavior or trying to find reasons for your dog's behavior. That's the point you need some help. Because even from my perspective, I think it's important to understand that if you've got some dog knowledge, you may be the most knowledgeable dog person on the planet in your world. When you're living with a problem or you're living with a dog that's starting to show signs of problems, not only is it easy to kind of fudge over them and make excuses or find reasons, but no one really wants to admit that their dog's having some issues because it's a reflection on us. And I put us in that bracket because I consider it exactly the same for myself. And I'm not too proud to say that. I, when I was going through my darkest years with Marley, I reached out to numerous behavior colleagues just to come and be, you know, a different eye and a different opinion over what we were dealing with. Regardless of whether they can bring anything to the table or not, it was often comforting to know that actually, you know, this is just him being told, Joey's a dog. And he's a dog with some mixed up genetics going on. It's so nobody's fault it is what it is. I'm sure the rest of the litter are amazing. You know, you don't have two children and they're exactly the same. There's no, no reason to look for blame or look for things that anybody's done wrong. It's much more about being able to look objectively. And sometimes that's difficult to do when you live with a problem. I guess if I was to give somebody advice, I would say, for starters, the sooner you reach out, The less work it's going to be, the cheaper it's going to be. So from a financial perspective, it it just makes sense to phone and have a one hour conversation with somebody than be asking them to invest three, four hour consult, written reports, vets involved, which is obviously a lot more costly. But emotionally as well, things are much easier to fix from an emotional and lifestyle perspective if we catch them early. We can just make a few changes, start to not make excuses for the dog, actually recognize the dog might be struggling, view it as the dog struggling, not the dog going out of its way to be deliberate actively aggressive or poorly behaved, but actually look at the dog and be able to make that collective decision that, you know, my dog needs some support, showing some real signs of discomfort, intolerance, frustration, irritability. These are all words that I use daily. I never use words like your dog's really poorly behaved. This is really bad behavior. You need to get this in check. You need to correct this. They're just not words that I use. So I will look at her dog and say, your dog is screaming out for some support, screaming out for some guidance. Your dog is so sleep deprived or so stressed and we can do so much to help him or her if you just recognise and I'll help you to do that, how that's occurring. Many of you guys as clients coming to me, I'm hugely overwhelmed. I'm often not the first port of call for most people, but certainly for adult dogs running into trouble, you know, people might try a local trainer first. They only usually end up looking for, for vets and vet referral when things get quite severe. As a behavior specialist, you just want to be there to educate your client. You know, training is, is really only as good as a relationship that an owner shares with their dog. And if you don't have that positive relationship where your dog looks to you for all those important and vital things to survive, then the foundations for your training are quite sketchy managing human emotion and managing the emotions of my clients during the process of not just rehabbing the dog but actually assessing the dog that's presented to me is a really sensitive thing to do and actually I'm not sure I could do this job if I was 20 years younger so I may have had the ability to communicate with the dogs I think I've always kind of inherently had that like I just get them I'm very black and white I find it very easy to read but I think what I bring to the table now allows me to really appreciate the owner's perspective and actually their reaction and their responses when I turn around and say, you know, your dog is really suffering there's often situations where, you know, pre-lockdown, I would end up having to offer some physical support, hug a client, sit down with a cup of tea, just for them to process some of the stuff that I'm telling them. You know, it, it's really quite hard hitting. I remember as a, a vet nurse, I used to run a, a beast clinic, so for, for dogs that were overweight. And that was my first experience, really, of ever really understanding how dogs truly a reflection of an owner's personality, character, lifestyle. You know, I'm I'm having these dogs in and I'm wanting to help the animal live a better, healthier life, but in in talking about the dog being overweight, I'm almost insulting the owner at the same time. Um and that learning has kind of carried through into how I work with and manage situations now you know my words have a massive impact so if I can put the same point across but with a lot more empathy and consider how I'm helping these people to be educated and not feel completely threatened by me then I'm going to get the result that I want and I'm going to do the best by the dog. When you look at the industry as a whole um, I'd like to kind of touch on uh, my perception of it and, and my thinking around it. I think it's quite a difficult industry to understand dog behavior and dog training. They tend to merge together and there's lots of different levels of knowledge and academia. There's lots of memberships, so associations and professional memberships that people can be a part of when they want to come into the dog training or behavior world. Um, it is a completely and utterly unregulated industry. So is, there is no one governing body Looking over our work. So, when a client comes to look in and do any research on trying to find a dog behaviorist or a dog trainer to help them with a problem, um, it becomes really a minefield. And often, the majority of my clients come through word of mouth, vet referral, you know, other professional referrals. I've got lots of people that kind of come through their groomers or their pet shop. So my referrals come from all over. I think the most difficult ones and the ones I have a lot of respect for are the people that just find me randomly on Google. They they really don't know who they're dealing with. If I was a client now, I think I'd be hugely overwhelmed with who to choose. There is a huge uh, diversity in The fees that people charge, there's a huge diversity in in people's academic knowledge. There's also a lot of opinions. I'm in a privileged position that I have a huge amount of diverse knowledge. But more importantly than that, I've got a huge amount of people in my locker that I can turn to, not just for support, but to discuss cases with who've got... specific specialist knowledge in other areas that maybe my knowledge is quite general. So gun dog training. I have got a prison officer that helps me rehome my strongest working dogs. Obviously prison officer that works in the dog unit. I've got people that do a lot of agility work. So if I've got dogs that, that really need to be worked and they need to do some fun stuff. If I was looking for a trainer now, I'd be looking for an open-minded trainer that was happy to listen to the knowledge that I had, that was happy to listen to the knowledge that I've picked up from other people. Other people's opinions absolutely bring them to the table. Yes, I bring a lot of experiential and academic learning to the table, but I don't think it's just about my opinion and what I've seen. I would hugely avoid... Uh, working with anybody that was negative in the industry, so work with somebody that just has a positive attitude, that is going to work progressively and proactively forward with you as a client, and is not one-dimensional, has lots and lots of skills and tools in their box, and on paper, you know, has has proven that they have a track record of success. I think ultimately is what, what people want to to be reaching out for. With social media now, it's really viable for you to look into individuals and spend a couple of weeks watching what they're getting up to, what sort of material they're putting out, what other clients are saying. Um, It's worth speaking to your vet um, and not just asking for a name, but asking if they've got any experience of that individual's work. If you get it wrong, and many people do get it wrong, they don't pull out early enough, then... It makes the whole job much, much bigger for anybody else coming in. And I know this because I'm often second or third person in to help a dog out. And the potential damage that can be done with training that is misunderstood or inappropriately delivered can have real catastrophic consequences. Negativity in the industry is prolific. Sadly, I uh, as a person I try and shy away from that stuff and just you know move forwardly uh, as professionally as I can and professional integrity I think is is huge and I will endeavor to always maintain that. I think working with animals is a really emotive thing to be doing and conjures up lots and lots of different behaviors in people as a rule and I've seen some of the worst Social media fights around something so ridiculous and so silly, just a difference of an opinion over an approach to um, a dog's poor behaviour. We're all going to come at things from a different viewpoint. And I think there's nothing better than sitting down and having a, a really interesting chat with a couple of fellow behaviourists that are going to have a different viewpoint on how I would view a case, because I'll take away from that. And learn, and maybe no, I don't agree with that, or maybe no, that wouldn't work with my character and my personality, and I choose to do three hour, three four hour consults, whereas colleagues will only do two. You find what works for you, but remaining in your own lane is very important, and staying within the realms of the knowledge that you have, but being open to referring that client on, it is not done enough. And as much as it would be lovely for us all to go away and do, you know, a weekend course on dog behavior and come out with just loads of experience and be able to set up as a business on a Monday morning would be great. I mean, everybody would be a dog trainer. It's an amazing job, but that's just not viable. And unfortunately, that is happening. People do a career change over a weekend, are told they can be a dog trainer on the Monday morning. And, you know, it's the same with anything. You don't know what you don't know. These people can't be blamed you know they're coming into the industry being a dog owner or having a love of dogs and a passion of dogs and wanting to make a difference they do a weekend course are told how to set up a business and they open on a monday morning as a fully fledged dog trainer marketing themselves on the same platform as me who has worked tirelessly to to get up to where i am and there's just no difference on a visual platform it's it is sad i would like in my fluffy world i would like everybody to just be considered that we're all just trying to do the best for the dog in the way that we know how. And I think ultimately, if we all came together and worked with that mentality, then the world would be a better place. But it's not always that easy to do. And I think that's where the conflict comes in. I guess, really, my journey followed a similar path to my veterinary nursing career. You know, I arrived on day one doing anaesthesia with a vet nurse beside me and literally got told, Just tell me if the dog's chest stops going up and down. Shocking. But 20-odd, 25 years ago, that's kind of what happened. That was your intro into veterinary nursing. But I started from the ground up with that as a humble individual. And I did exactly the same. I came out of veterinary nursing about as high up as I could possibly be in that career and went back down to the bottom. And I was seeing clients. I was spending... You know, half days with clients for hardly any money at all because I was transparent and told them, listen, you know, I know my dogs, but I'm not used to working up behavior cases. This is new. I had a mentor who was amazing, um, who's one of my best friends in the industry now, you know, still is. We still uh, bounce cases off each other now. And I would take the dog to a level that I was comfortable with, but the owner would have to be on board when we started that once I'd got to that level, if that didn't reach a resolution, they would have to be comfortable referring to my colleague. And I would go with them and I would see through the case as as an observer while my colleague did anything that I'd missed. And that went on really for the first 18 months, two years of my career of daily seeing cases and weekly referring them up to him and being involved and this is alongside an academic career that's cost me £30,000 so all that time I was earning the money via my first company which was dog walking and and dog boarding etc to pay for this academic knowledge but also being humble enough (laughs) to you know sit back I was a newbie in the industry and I need to learn it and that grounding has not only given me you know the ability now to have evolved how I consult and get my confidence with the consultations but has also forged me some amazing relationships with people that are constantly there for me to pick the phone up to it's quite an isolated industry to be in we don't have a team of people it is just me so having that unit You know, the support of my association, the CFBA, and the people within it have pretty much got me to the level of of practice that I am today.